all you positive heads out there. Thanks for tuning your beautiful brainwaves into another episode of the Positive Head Podcast, where we are firmly convinced that creating success and happiness is rooted in understanding the ultimate nature of reality and the fact that as human beings, we are all immensely powerful fractals of the one and only source consciousness, which creates and animates all things. Now, of course, understanding this powerful truth is one thing. Applying this incredibly empowering wisdom to everyday life, well, that's another. Which is exactly why we provide you with a fresh serving of soul food for thought five days a week to help constantly remind you of what matters most. You are it. And I'm your host, Brandon Beecham. I'm the reflection and extension of you who will be here each Wednesday interviewing a different consciousness changemaker. And on the other four weekdays, leading the way to ensure that your perspective is consistently expanded, your vibration is constantly elevated, and your heart is overflowing and full. And you guys have heard me say that if I ever run ads on this show, it will only be with a company that I fully support because I believe their intention is to make a positive difference in the world. Well, I'm pleased to announce that day has arrived and that this episode of the Positive Head Podcast is being brought to you thanks to the support of Gaia. If you're not familiar, Gaia is the go-to source for streaming consciousness content online. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. Check it out. All right, all you positive heads, on this week's Pow Wow episode, I'm very excited to have Stuart Pierce here with me on the show. Stuart is an author, voice alchemist, and angel whisperer who has empowered and mentored some of the world's most gifted people. Super excited to have you here with me, Stuart. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If I may interrupt just briefly and say that the, the way that it all started is that I was an actor who then became a voice coach. So I'm a master of voice. That's where the famous people come in. They don't come in through voice alchemy. The voice alchemy is the fact that having practiced as a voice coach since 1980 and 1987 during the harmonic convergence, I experienced a divine transmission where in the the heart chakra of the world known as Glastonbury Tor, 12 angels came and spoke with me, so to speak. And they gave me the temple of sound healing, which is called the alchemy of voice. And that's why you have the term voice alchemist, mm. so an, an angel whisperer. But it actually started chronologically in that order. So my home is actually in the entertainment industry. But as you can hear, I'm, I've sort of extrapolated. I've expanded beyond that, um, largely right. as a result of being sought out to write books and to talk about the things that interest me most, which is the interface between soul and our 3D experience. So just so that we have that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, you you jumped right into what I was going to ask next, which was, uh, you know, give us a little bit of background if you could. And, and maybe if there's anything more um, that you'd like to share in regards to your story, because it's such a unique life path that you have ended up on. So, uh, you know, first off, you said in, what was it? Did you say 87 that you, you all, all of a sudden had this interaction with these angelic entities? Is that what, that was the beginning of going from acting and, and, you know, uh, voice coach to, to angel whisper? 
Well, no, I mean, what happened was that, um, you know, as you, I think, tuned into, I had a troubled childhood um, because Mm -hmm. I've always had the ability to see spirit. And as a small child, I talked about what I saw because I thought everybody was seeing what I saw. And I soon discovered that I was, that other people were not seeing what I was seeing. And, uh, you know, this was all post-war because I'm of a certain age. So it's in the early, early 50s. And um, then what happened was that, you know, if a child was, um, you know, preternatural or tuning into the supernatural world, they were thought to be mad or they thought to be crazy. I, at the same time, I had really difficult challenges at school because I was synesthetic. So I, in other words, I saw sound and it was very difficult to formulate a contained vision of where the way that I saw sound to enable me to read. So effectively, I didn't start reading until I was about 13, 14. Wow. Well, you know, that that's difficult for teachers, you know, because or if you, if they branded me as being educationally subnormal. They branded me as being stupid, purely and simply because I had alternative abilities. And today, of course, we're, be, we're, we're being much more considerate about people who are autistic or synesthetic or who have HDHD or you know whatever the manifestation is and we refer to them as being alternative abilities so i guess that's that's the way that i was but i've always had a stabilizing influence in my life and that sound and this voice that i have so for example when i started to read in my early, early adolescence i heard people saying there's something about your voice there's something about your voice and i became i suppose socially more adroit and you know as i moved through puberty and and, and late adolescence and people get on saying oh there's something about your voice have you ever thought of becoming an actor now up to that point i've never received any approval so i thought wow maybe acting is the way and guess what i was good at it so i took part in high school plays and people said oh my god you're such an actor you must become an actor. so guess what i became an actor and so <laughs> through the early seven you know through the the 70s i worked as an actor Um, which brought me here to the United States. So I was working on Broadway as an actor. By this, all the way through this, the whole of my psychic operation was completely dulled because after all, Mm. people didn't really want to hear what I was saying. But then I started having a series of -of out-of-body experiences where I began to see the preternatural world or the multidimensional universe. And then in 79, I was about to move from New York City to Los Angeles because I gained a successful casting to make a movie. And as I was moving, the telephone rang and it was my brother's voice saying, what are you doing? And I said, well, you know what I'm doing. I'm moving from New York to make this movie. And he said, are you sitting down? You need to know mum's got terminal cancer and she's got three months to live. What are you going to do? So in a moment, I went movie mum, movie Well, of course, I, you know, I took the compassionate route and I let the movie go, even though I was in breach of contract, went back to the United Kingdom and nursed her, lived with her, nursed her for a year, which was an immensely mystical experience while she died. And then she died. So I was like, what, what do I, what do I do now? And um, (laughs) in the middle of all of this, the telephone rang and here was a woman that I'd worked with, with the Royal Shakespeare Company, who was one of the world's leading voice coaches saying, where are you and what are you doing? And I said, well, 
here I am, and this is what I'm being. I'm not doing anything. Because, and I told her the story of what I've been through through the year. And she said, oh, my God, what are you going to do? I accept there are a few expletives, which I won't use. And I said, I don't know. She said, well, come and teach for me. And I said, what? I'm an actor. And she said, look, you've been through three years of training with me at the, the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford. What I'd like you to do is to come and be my apprentice. And in the meantime, there's this woman I want you to go and work with. I don't want to work with her because I'm a diehard socialist. And she's just taken over the Conservative Party. So that so it all happened by Kismet, Brandon, you see, that I yeah, found myself yeah. two weeks later walking into Downing Street and Margaret Thatcher was my first client. So I literally wow. flew by the seat of my pants. Now, you know, that was extraordinary because out of nothing, something came and it was a huge doorway to walk through. And, you know, within a short period of time, I literally became the head of voice of one of Britain's leading drama schools. I did that for seven years. But as soon as you start talking, so I worked from about 1980 to 1987. As soon as you start talking to people about their voices or indeed listening to them as they speak about their voices, I was starting to pick up their inner vibration. My intuition was triggered and I started seeing spirit again. So wow. I practiced the muscle of psyche and developed the ability to read on a psychic level. This went on over a period of seven years. And a friend of mine had just opened a crystal store selling crystals in this small town in, in Wiltshire, in Somersetshire rather, which is called Glastonbury, which is the heart chakra of the world. And he said wow. to me, have you heard about the harmonic convergence? And I said, no, what's that? And he said, well, the harmonic convergence is taking place in the August weekend of 1987. And what I want you to do is come down because you're really good at these short spot on readings for people because we're going to have the world and his wife pouring into the town. And I'd love you to do this. Is that something you'd like to do? And I said, sure. I mean, it sounds like fun. I'd love to. And it will help me practice the muscle of being really accurate and compassionate and authentic with people. So I went down and I was operating in this way as a psychic and felt absolutely exhausted. So during the lunch break, I went and sat on the tour to meditate. And in meditating, I heard these extraordinary sounds these high-pitched harmonics, these overtones, I opened my eyes and in front of me were these huge orbs, different colors. There were 12 in all. And I heard wow. in the inner, you know, in my higher self through my inner con consciousness, I heard a voice that I remember hearing as a child. And I knew it was Archangel Michael because I suddenly was switched back on to the memory at the age of six of my mother introducing me to this being that was on the side of a church. And I was told, this is Archangel Michael. And this being, when I was that kid, looked to me and winked and said, inside my head, I will always be with you. So I knew the wow. voice. This voice said, we are the angels of Atlantis, and we're giving you a temple of sound healing, which you will call the alchemy of voice. And a beam of light shot through my body, right through my heart, and I passed out. Two minutes later, I woke up and realized that I'd been given angelic shakti pad. You know, that this huge force from the mm. angelic union had moved through me to prepare me 
And then they went on to say, we are going to prepare you for the next seven years so that you can embody our teachings. That's where I got switched back on. So that was August 1987 in the Harmonic Convergence. And for any of the listeners who are thinking, well, what on earth was that? It was a grand trine opening in the heavens, this really powerful astrological configuration, which the Mayan or the Mayan people said would awaken 144,000 rainbow light warriors to begin the journey, the light workers, the healers of the world, to begin the journey from 1987 to 2012, December the 21st, 2012, which of course marked the procession of the equinoxes. Right. So that's how it happened. It's very organic, isn't it? You know, it just well, I tumbled into these things. I mean, it's it's a really, really boring life path um, that you've taken here. I mean, if you could just bring some excitement to it. Geez, Stuart. Um, so that is absolutely fascinating. So what I'd like to do is just get, obviously, you've talked about the alchemy of voice and uh, you know that, that ended up being the, the book that embodied these seven years of teachings. Is that correct? Well, I mean, it's, it's not just the seven years. Or, or is it- you know, it's the whole, the alchemy of voice is what the angels gave me. So if you like, it's all of the stimuli that I've received. I'm now 66. So, you know, it, whatever, it's all of that. Right. But the key, the key is that, um, you know, these, these beings of light, these 12 are called the angels of Atlantis. So they give me a lot of information about how they experienced life on Atlantis and that Atlantis was an extraordinary cosmic experiment. Um, we're living one now, I believe, but it's of a very different form. What's chief about the, the Atlantean experiment was that we were living a full 12 helix DNA, whereas at the moment we're only living a double helix DNA. But as we, as we both know, that we have within our bodies 64 codons of DNA, but only 12 right. are active. So the alchemy of voice is to principally give us an understanding that we each have a note that sound mm. is at the core of creation and that we each have a note. And most people have completely, what I refer to as, they've, uh, they've unremembered this. They haven't forgotten it because when I teach this around the world, people go, oh, yeah, that's right. Because we know about the Big Bang. It wasn't the big silence 13.9 billion years ago. It was a Big Bang that created the, the universe and the galaxy in the way that we know it. We also know that the very first thing that we do, if we're able to do it, as we shoot out of our mother's birth canals, and often we're encouraged by being slapped, is to breathe in and go, yeah, you know, this is wonderful roar of life. And then we go on talking. It says, what is the quality of that? And to give you a quick reference, that most people are not in their note. I mean, I, I would suggest that right now I'm sitting in my note, just as you are, because organically you know how to sit in your note, which is why you're drawn to the transmission of information through sound. And what I've done over the years is to become aware of it, because it's helped me find my power, it's helped me find my sovereignty, it's helped me transmute the negative into positive, because, you know, as I was saying earlier, life as a child was not very easy. Um, right. And as a result of this, you know, we feel a level of harmony, we feel a level of our personal power, we feel a quality of our sovereignty. But where most people sit is right here. Okay, now, I mean, what I've done is, you know, move into the cerebral resonance. Uh, if I, you know, just close the back of my tongue, I go into that sort of thing that you hear a lot. You know, um, where, you know, I, all I'm doing is producing a sound. I'm going to stop doing it right now. 
where I, all I do is produce a sound that my head. And um, you can hear that that is that not really in the note of, you know, the central fugal point of harmony that is in our bodies. And the interesting thing is that all our ancient civilizations knew this because they all knew and they lived and they practiced and they embodied the sound as at the core of creation. So if we go back, for example, into the Roman and the Greek civilization, which the history books say are the origins of Western civilization, um, of course, we know that Atlantis and Egypt and Sumeria and Mesopotamia came way before that. And that's not even including that all those other extended civilizations that appeared in the Middle East and in the Far East, or indeed, right. you know, in the, in, the southern, in the southern zone, in the southern hemisphere. Um, But, you know, the the most important thing about um, sound is that, for example, in Rome, it was taught that if we found persona, you found your note. And persona, which is the root of the word personality, of course, which Mm. sums up the essence of somebody, literally means per, through, sona, sound. So when Mm. we're talking about somebody's personality, we're really talking about their sound, Except we're seeing the sound as being uh, an amalgam of the whole force of that individual, and so they practice physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually through the you know the, the different levels of our bodies: the earth, water, air, and fire to find their note, and they stabilized it through three very particular um, uh, sensations or ways of being. One was gravitas or gravity, so it means you know if you're relaxed, your voice has a body sound, you touch into your feeling sensations. Therefore, we choose to speak truth, and they call this veritas, and verity means speaking truth. Therefore, we resonate integritas, or integrity, which for them meant that the integers of the body, the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, or if you like, the earth, water, air, and fire, would become integrated within the body, and as a result of that, we resonate integrity. And this is how they live their lives. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and completely amazing. And, you know, it's funny, as you were very, uh, uh, you know, of course, joking, but it, it, I, I laughed a lot at your imitation of people because that we all know that voice that is sort of the the drone voice that everyone's taken on. Absolutely. You know, I did a workshop here in L.A. on on Saturday and I had several young ladies who, you know, they were really like this the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, so what I help them do is find a way of being able to relax. And, you know, the interesting thing about when we find our note, we find that it's it's position, physiologically speaking, because obviously our voices are purely physical means that we use to communicate the way we think and feel. But actually, it goes right into the heart. So, you know, I come up with this very ancient proverb, which says, if words arise from the heart, they enter the heart. If words arise mm. from the tongue alone, they don't pass beyond the ears. But it works right to right. the heart, they enter the heart. And so, you know, when we look into the huge revolution that we're all living, those of us that are aware, and if you like, you know, most of our great teachers like Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra are saying that we're in the middle of a vortex of a spiritual revolution, that one of the great things that people are talking about is can we open our hearts? Can we find compassion? Can we really yep. see that love is all there is? And so there's this interweaving of inspiration 
within what I'm offering the world about how we can alter our mental body in conjunction with our emotional body by tuning into the physical body in finding our note. So we become much more harmonious, we become much healthier people, and as a result of that, we start maturing and stop living through the program negativity that brings us to guilt and shame and denial and self-fulfilling dissolution. How does how does a person who is hearing this and feeling what you're saying go about finding their unique note, their signature note? You go to my website. I've got two websites, stuartpierce.com, so www.stuartpierce.com, which is the corporate site. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll see me looking very smart in a suit, and there's my public <laughs> And then there's the other website, which is www.theangelsofatlantis.com. www.theangelsofatlantis.com. And as one clicks onto that, you'll see in the toolbar, shop. Go to the shop, and it clicks into CDs or recordings. And the first recording that I made is called Awakening. And that is is a gift to everybody. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I have to charge a little bit of money for it, but it's, um, you know, it's very easily uh, downloaded or uploaded from iTunes or Amazon and Uh for a little bit of summer money. And what that does is it's a sonic meditation. It's my voice speaking just as we are now, taking everybody through the experience of expanding their breath because we can't make a sound unless we have breath and finding their note. And this has become a bestseller around the world. Wow. Awakening is what it's called. Very, very nice. I think, uh, I, I know I'm very curious to, to check that out myself and I'm sure others will be as well. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you talked a, a lot uh, at the beginning about your experience with your initial experience with these archangels uh, of Atlantis and you went on to write a, a book all about that. I would love to hear and learn. I mean, I think that's something that is out there. We've all heard, or most of us anyway, you know, about Atlantis. Is it a myth? Is it real? Uh, obviously, you're saying it's real and you're getting information from uh, outside of uh, recorded history or, or the lack thereof, maybe where Atlantis is concerned. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, what all is in, do you break down in that book? And what can you tell us? about Atlantis in general and, you know, what what was really going on there? Because you hear a lot of times, of course, that we're repeating that in some way, too. I'm sure you've at least heard that that theory. It's sort of like a, a reboot and they destroyed themselves and you hear these different ideas. And I'd love to see what you learned from your angelic friends about that time. Yes, and, uh, you know, it's there in the book that I wrote, The Angels of Atlantis, which has a whole introduction to um, you know, tune into the question that you're asking me, some of the facts I can give you right now, um, and the whole inspiration behind the angels is that we recreate or reform or remember the way that we were in Atlantis. Now, the, the civilization of Atlantis, Atlantis, from a landmass point of view, poured from the area that we now refer to as being the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico, all the way over to the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean. Mm. So it's a very large continent. Wow. And um, it 
through the teaching that I've received from these 12 extraordinary beings of light, some of whom, by the way, are very familiar. We know Michael, we know Raphael, we know Uriel, and we know Gabriel. And then there are other angels called Metatron and Shamael and um, Uriel, uh, I mentioned. Um, who else is there? You know, Zadkiel, Safkiel. The interesting thing is that the 12 each have a very specific job. And in Atlantis, they overlit... They over, not overshadowed, but they overlighted 12 communions that were made up, they were like townships, that were made up of 144,000 people. The geometry and the numerology are very significant because each of these forms, uh, numerology or, um, you know, or um, geometry, etc., etc., they each have vibration. And what the Atlanteans were trying to do through the experiment that we're also living, which is bringing spirit into matter, they mm. were living through the 12 helix DNA. And so they had very open powers to do with telekinesis, to do with very advanced levitational processes, psychic. So they were actually able to stabilize a very new bioculture to the degree where for a thousand years in the middle of the civilization's chronology from approximately 250,000 BC to the end times, which were somewhere around 15 to 10,000 BC. In the middle of that period for a thousand years, the extraordinary priest wizards and priestess witches were able to manifest an energy band around the continent that stabilized very complex meteorological processes so that we lived a paradise. And I believe that that was the origin of the idea of the Garden of Eden. Wow. I mean, there's so much I could say about Atlantis, but the most important thing to recognize is that they were actually living a 12 helix DNA. So they had superpowers. They could levitate themselves. They could travel very easily um, through thought. You know, they could astrally travel into the cosmos because they all knew which planet they had come from, that, that planet Earth was a colonization of many different planets. And just mm. as we're waking today to the fact that the galaxy is teeming with life, the angels teach me that, that we're one of 24 civilizations living within our galaxy. It's just that our brothers and sisters who are extraterrestrial or indeed ultra-terrestrial, many of them don't have bodies. Some of them wow. have the ability to move from antimatter into matter, which is why we're seeing them. We're seeing their spaceships, and sometimes we're seeing their form, particularly with the greys and the Arcturians right. who come to us a lot. Um, so that, you know, that begins a huge avenue of activity in relation to extraterrestrial consciousness. So they were very alive to the nature of the way the cosmology functions, which is something that we're slowly waking up to today and realizing that, as Einstein said, you know, is the universe, is the galaxy friendly? And of course it is. You know, the, the, you know we love to point a finger at the Biru and say that there are evil extraterrestrials that are going to take us over. I feel right. that, that there's a seed of... The Anunnaki. The Anunnaki, exactly. There's a seed of truth in that. But I feel that it's escalated by the mentality of the conspiracy theorists who right. are on the whole very interesting people 
But, you know, the thing that um, I don't necessarily condone is that most of them are very, very angry. And they're angry right. the death of our current civilization. Because obviously the patriarchal civilization that we've lived for two and a half thousand years is going through its death throes. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that begins another debate about the whole substance of conspiracy theorists. Um, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is to live love and to live empathy and to live compassion. And I often don't see that. Not that this is a criticism or judgment. It's just an observation. I don't often see that in my brothers and sisters who are consumed by conspiracy theories. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's for me, you know, when I, when I encounter someone who's really on that path, I mean, I think of a, a good friend who's co-hosted and been on the show regularly he's one of the most brilliant beautiful souls i know and yet he's he's you know it's like there's certain people that are really tempted to sort of follow those threads of conspiracy and it's sort of you know it takes you to a, a dark place and i feel personally the best way to sort of deal with i'm not saying there isn't things going on and and uh, there's a lot of shady past and even things that are happening now but you know i i personally personally feel the best thing that I can do is put my energy in the direction of what I want to see more of as opposed to, uh, you know, obsessing over some of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's so much chaos on our planet. There's so much unhappiness. There's so much suffering. There's so much scarcity that people create. I mean, I don't personally believe in scarcity. I think it's something we create because we're living contrast. So as you right. were saying, you know, let's all get to the, let's all uplift. Let's all transcend. Let's look for joy. Let's look for well-being. I mean, we're here to have a fun time. We're not have, here to have a shit time, you know. Right. Um, so, you know, and I take that very responsibly. I don't mean that idly, you know. So I do engage in projects. For example, a few weeks ago, I was in, in the Middle East with a, a musician friend of mine, where because he's an international musician, he, we get young Palestinian and Israeli musicians into a rehearsal room where they play music. Now, these kids walk in and they hate one another. You can feel it in the atmosphere. Mm. Then they start to play Brahms or Schubert or, you know, they're musicians of a certain proficiency because of who, you know, they're being led by in this friend of mine and uh, automatically the space changes from this hatred into this wow. remarkable harmony and then he gives them to me and I take them into a two hour workshop where we find their note and we end up crying together we end up laughing together and then they end up hugging one another so the hatred is completely transformed beautiful you know that's what wow. I'm doing that's incredible so uh, to, to just circle back to Atlantis, because, um, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about, okay, so the, you know, from what you're saying, you've been shown, you know, that's a pretty long run that the Atlanteans had from 250,000 BC to, you know, what, even 15,000 or 10,000 BC. That's a long time. What, what happened? What, why did it end? What, you know, where did it, where did it go wrong? How was it destroyed? Well, there's a there's a, an interesting phrase, isn't it? Which is that we became fallen from grace, and right. that's mentioned in the in the Old Testament, as it's mentioned in the Upanishads as well, in the Hindu and Buddhist sacred texts. And I believe that what happened is that we began to become preoccupied in Atlantis with the notion of matter, that we began mm. to become preoccupied with the sensations 
that were animal sensations within our humanness, to do with sensuality, to do with sexuality, to do with sensoriness. And we became so preoccupied with these that actually we became more dense and we started to move away from the supernal connections that we had with the celestial. So in other words, we began to evolve. And in this mm -hmm. evolution, we became, we mutated. And at the same time, there was a high degree of intellectual capability about these people, and particularly in relation to electrochristology. So they used crystals to charge energy. The whole of Atlantis was, um, the, you know, crystals were raining where they would produce extraordinary power, rather like the generators that we have today. And particularly right. the great crystal, which is known as the Tuar, which was at the very center of the Atlantean civilization, which I believe now is lying on the ocean floor somewhere near Bimini, uh, which mm. is in the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico, and creates this triangular form of consciousness, which we know is the Bermuda Triangle. So I believe it's still there. And in fact, wow. I've been working with those energies for, for the last 12 years because of a project that I'm mentoring in the Dominican Republic. And the Dominican Republic is a very high escarpment of Atlantis, where there is a mineral. And it's the only place in the world at the moment where we find that mineral, which is called Larimar. And Larimar mm. is a blue-green stone that Edgar Cayce, the sleeping prophet, said would be found in the 1970s, and it was the Atlantis stone. And so, indeed, his prophecy came true. A native man, one of the Tahino, was there with his daughter in the high hills of the island, because it's a very remarkable island in the Caribbean. It has a, a lake below sea level and then a very high mountainous range. And there he was mm. with his child, minding their own business, you know, communing with nature, being being father and daughter. And she kicked against a stone and they found this blue-green stone. And, it, you know, he washed it and it just has this iridescent quality about it. So he called it Larimar. And the reason being that his, his daughter's name was Larissa and mm. Ma means of the sea. So she was, pet, her pet name was Lari, Lari. So he called it Larimar. The, the mm. stone from the sea and um, running retreats, which I will do this, the beginning, the first um, 10 days of August on the Dominican Republic. So if anybody's interested, you know, just go to the repeat, uh, sorry, the retreat page of the angels of Atlantis.com and you'll see the, the, the web flyer. And we work through a series of rituals that are recreations of the way that we lived in Atlantis using, using Larimar. However, so the great crystal is still there. Now, back to Atlantis. I believe that the, the, the priest wizards, these extraordinary scientists, that their ego became more and more intensified and they started to misuse their power. And so they mm. created a fusion of electrochristology that actually um, somehow connected with sonar because sound is at the core of creation, and they found a way of being able to fuse this to split the atom, and so they created nuclear fusion. Now, if you bring these constituent parts in, unlike the atomic bomb that we have, which is already very powerful in the most devastating way, as we saw with Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but if you introduce these other features, it brings about a cataclysmic, explosive energy.
and they used it. And I believe that mm. one of the experiments um, literally moved beyond bounds and they produced an energy which marked the cataclysm of Atlantis. I also believe that the civilization's chronology was coming to a close and that, you know, we see with, with the Gaia, we see with Mother Earth, that she closes things down and then begins anew, you know, that nothing is singular, uh, sorry, nothing is permanent. Everything is constantly evolving. It's just that we humans like to fix things and make them permanent. Right. And there is no such thing as permanency. Right, 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 right. We're from the source, and the source is an infinitely unfolding, creative possibility full of love and joy. And so what this project is all about, this experiment, is bringing love and joy from spirit into our bodies because we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Right. Do you do you believe then as part of that, uh, you know, never-ending evolution and the cyclical nature of reality do you do you believe that uh, we are now entering into the the early phase of you know the next version of of atlantis oh, where you know unquestionably and i feel that it will be you know I've, I've spoken to some major wisdom keepers around the world i mean one of them was Humbat's man who was the, the the keeper of the crystal skulls the 12 crystal skulls in fact there are 13 but he he was the keeper of the 12 and the benson hedges skull is one of them um and he gave me a lot of information about this new era that we're moving into which is the recreation of a rainbow light bridge between atlantis and lumeria wow so it's a new world order and um i'm fascinated by that because of the extraordinary fortune that i had in being asked to work with a woman that we know as diana princess of wales who was one of the most extraordinary human beings that I've ever met. And I think we would all say there was something very remarkable about her. I mean, this was the most photographed woman on our planet. And yet right. her life was very short and she passed at the age of 36 in this treacherous way. So, I, yes, was she murdered? Yes, she was murdered. And, oh, wow. um, and I'm so, so fascinated by her because this young chick who was obviously very maladroit, you know, she was very clumsy and disempowered, became the people's princess, and then became the queen of everybody's hearts. And then she was taken from us. And yet when she was taken from us, something really unusual happened that set a precedent on our planet, because over six and a half billion people felt the wave of that Shakti when she died, you know, we were all, our hearts were all beaten into shape, so to speak, by love. Mm. And so we, wow. we wept. Um, and I believe, although she was killed, that it was part of her soul's contract to go at that time. Um, there's, right. uh, we, 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 th th there's a lot of information there that I've been given, either by her over the last few years, or indeed through some of the esoteric traditions that I've touched into to understand more about the place where she died. And, you know, I'll, I'll seed one idea, which is that during Roman times, the place where she died was the Temple of Diana. Oh, wow. So there's an in, entire significance there. 
Um, however, they're just interesting facts. So there's a portal there between heaven and uh, between earth and heaven. And, um, you know, there are lots and lots of other things that I've written about with this book that's going to come out. Um, yeah, when, when, when is this? And this is Diana, the voice of change, uh, the book right. you're talking about. When does yeah. this come out? Um, as yet, we're, we're in negotiation with a leading publisher. So I don't have any um, firm dates. Firm but day, I, do yeah. gotcha. that, I do know that publishing takes schedules for publishing takes a long time. So it'll be at the end of this year or the beginning of 2019. And it seems to me that that's rather timely because of the great changes that are taking place in the British royal family, as indeed mm. within the, you know, the things that Diana stood for, which was the emancipation of the divine female, and particularly empowering other women to find their voices. Hence, Diana, the voice of change. Um, and, you know, the hashtag Me Too is just right on target for that. So wonderful women who have been oppressed are now finding their voices. So they're able to release the voice of oppression and find their power. They're finding their note and they're speaking it. So it feels yeah. that, you know, the, the eventually, I mean, this is very, very prophetic. And um, I haven't necessarily written this into... Um, this this book, but you know, I'll wait and see what the publishers can advise because it's very prophetic. I mean, it's quite a way out there. But my firm belief is that in 50, maybe even 60 years' time, the new world order will have as principal deity Diana. Wow. That's quite that's quite a fascinating prediction. Um, so that she sort of looked like looked at like a Mother Mary kind of figure. Uh, yes, is that what you're suggesting? She's an evocation of the divine feminine, and so because she lived in the way that she lived in recent times, I believe that now she's in the pantheon of the divine feminine. So Mary is there, Magdalene is there, Kuan Yin is there, Sophia is there, Isis is there, Portia is there. You know, these these very, very powerful um, archetypal goddesses that are evocations of the divine feminine, that Diana is there with them, and that they're wow. speaking to her as a vessel that will be able to communicate to us through maybe through people like me, I don't know, um, as right. a vessel, you know, that, that, that there is a way of being able to bring love into people's lives through touch, through compassion, through empathy, rather than through the awful mechanisms that some people use to manipulate people into, um, into ignominy, you know. Right, 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 right. Well, now seems like a good moment to take a quick minute to tell those of you who aren't familiar a bit about our sponsor, Gaia. I've been a big fan of Gaia for many years now, which is why they're the only content provider I've ever reached out to in regards to potentially supporting this podcast. So needless to say, I'm very excited they're now supporting the show. Gaia truly is my personal go-to source for streaming consciousness content on the web. They have an incredible 7,000 plus exclusive videos covering 5,000 years of wisdom. Just to give you an example, on the show Missing Links, the incredible researcher Greg Braden explores all the biggest questions concerning who we are, where we come from, where we're going, by connecting the missing links between science and spirituality to complete our understanding of humanity's history and to better understand the interconnectedness of all things. Awesome, right? And that's just one example. 
As you guys constantly hear me say, it's a daily conscious effort to maintain an elevated vibration. And if you're looking to go deep down the rabbit hole to do so, then Gaia is the best place I know of to do it, period. And you can sign up for your first month for only 99 cents at Gaia.com forward slash positive head. That's spelled G-A-I-A dot com forward slash positive head. Check it out. This is this is fascinating. And there's, you know, um, we're on a little bit of a time crunch today. So there are a couple other things that I really want to hear you speak on. And so to, to switch gears a little bit, one of the now th- that, of course, being your forthcoming book, but your most recent book is uh, Angels and the Keys to Paradise. And that actually ties in like uh, ancient e- Egypt and Ascension codes and and, you know, helping people to understand how to use, um, you know, uh, is sigils is it sigils you pronounce sigils it's, or it's sigils sigils. Yes. Sigils. Yeah. Sigils. Pronunciation sigil. Yeah. Yeah. Sigils. Yes. I couldn't quite remember. And so, um, if you could, uh, if you could speak a little bit about that, because I know that is very interesting to anyone listening, like, okay, how do I, how, you know, what are some of the tools and obviously checking out the book guys is the, the ideal thing, but, uh, just giving us a a glimpse into what, what you share there and, and, you know, what people can, can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. It's um, it's it's a, quite a story. So let me see if I can synthesize it. Um, I, I, I've been fascinated by Egypt for many, many years. And so, in, in fact, I, I remember going there first with my dad when I was about 15. And, you know, which was supposed to be a bonding exercise, <laughs> according to my mum, because my father and I... <laughs> A difficult relationship. But what was interesting is that um, while we were there, I was introduced surreptitiously to um, a friend of his who was an Egyptologist. And this wonderful man, who was actually a Frenchman, took me, my father went back to England, and this man took me on an amazing magical mystery tour. So I was really switched on to Egypt. And therefore, over the years, I've been going and spending time there and being drenched by the mysteries and understanding more and more and more and more. So when the angel said to me about 15 years ago that they wanted me to run a retreat there, I went and I spent about two months in Egypt and found ways of being able to run the retreat that I've run very successfully for the last 12 or 13 years. And so, indeed, the retreat was what I was on during the 2020, uh, during the um, um, the winter solstice of the, the procession of the equinoxes, meaning in December 21st, 2012. And I took a large group there. Uh, but I went through a series of mystical, as many of us did, We I went through a series of mystical experiences, which, to cut a long story short, led me with my Egyptologist guide, who's a very, very dear friend of mine, Ashraf Amin, led, led us to a tomb that is completely off the beaten track in the in the Valley of the Kings. In fact, it's not even in the Valley of the Kings. It's in a valley that is beside the Valley of the Kings, which is called the Valley of the Monkeys, or the Valley of the Baboons. And right at the end of this valley is a tomb, amazing tomb, completely by itself. And it's the tomb of a man called I, the High Priest I, who is the High Priest of Akhenaten, and Tutankhamun, and Nefertiti. So, I mean, there's a whole story there. But anyway, so I go to this tomb, and I go through a series of mystical experiences while I'm in the tomb. So when I return, this is in December of 2012, when I return in April 2013 with the next group, I want to go and do a sonic ritual in this tomb. And when we arrive there, 
we're told that we can't go in because there's an electrical power failure. And I thought, well, bullshit, you know, I'm going to go in anyway, even though you have to climb down 55 meters deep into the womb of the earth. I thought this is going to be fun, like Indiana Jones, and I'm sure somebody has a torch on them or something. Well, what was interesting <laughs> is that this young guard stepped forward this young Egyptian stepped forward and he spoke English and he had the most extraordinary eyes and he said, I'll take you down and he held up a candle. So I said, okay, you take us down. So we're climbing down into the bowels of the earth with this one candle. So it was very Indiana Jones. And when we got to the base, <laughs> we, we surrounded this sarcophagus and we started, I started a sonic ritual and he joined in with us when I thought, wow, this is interesting because here's a good Islamic boy chanting the old. And he, right. he had the most amazing voice. And part of the experience of this initial, this initial ritual is to use sound to lift through the chakras. So we move from the base and we go up and up and up and up and up and up and up. So we're producing this very high frequency sound. And he's joining in with this, but he's, he's doing something else. He's sort of singing an Islamic lamentation. It's absolutely amazing. But it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in volume. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's something unusual going on here. And keeping him, wow. keeping him out of the corner of my eye, and then suddenly he screams this blood curdling scream. The candle drops to the floor, so we're in pitch black. My my people are freaking out, and I'm thinking, "Oh my god!" I get on the wow. and I'm looking for the candle. Unfortunately, my hand finds it, and I light it. By this time, he's become quiet, and I hold up the candle and ask everybody to calm down, look over to where he was, and there's an old man standing there. What? There's an old man. He's transmogrified into an old man. And immediately, this, the eyes of this man open and look at me, and I know this is I. This is the high priest who died three and a half thousand years ago. And this being walked towards me and placed a hand on my third eye and a hand on my heart and used this incantation. It was really unusual. It doesn't sound like modern day Arabic. I believe it was a very ancient Egyptian Atlantean tongue. And I felt this bolt of lightning go through me and I burst into floods of tears. It was the most extraordinary experience of coming home to... Wow. The wisdom, the ancient wisdom of this extraordinary man, which incidentally, I believe, that reincarnated as Gandhi, as Mahatma Gandhi. He was an extraordinary wow. Anyway, so I took him around to every member of the group and he blessed them. So we were all very, very moved, got, got back, you know, sort of took him around the circle of the group, got back to where we started and he became quiet. So I finished the ritual and the candle went out. So we climbed to the top, to the, the top, but there was no young man who had take to, taken us in. So something was immensely powerful was awakened within wow. me. And I said to my Egyptian guide, look, we need to find somebody. So when the retreat is over, we need to go and meet, I don't know, a magician, a light worker, whatever. And he said, oh, well, there is somebody who's an imam who has the ability to remote view, who was used by the Supreme Council of the Antiquities to find, um, you know, under, underground tombs where they found extraordinary jewels and um, figurines of the gods and, you know, great treasures. So we went to see this man and he, 
for 15 minutes, he sort of shouted at me. I think he was trying to test whether I had integrity or not. Um, so he was thrusting things into my hand for psychometric testing. And apparently I passed. But after 15 minutes of being shouting at I was I just had enough. So I turned to my guide and I said, look, I'm not, we're not really achieving what I came here to find. I wanted to find out about I. And it's obviously he's just going to shout at me. So I think we need to give him some money and say thank you very much and leave. At which point this gentleman said, up to this point, he'd only spoken in Arabic. And up to this point, he said to me, okay, lie down, I'll put a spell on you, and you'll go into where you need to go. <laughs> so, I, so I lay down. His son actually came and lay next to me, who was the tr shaman in training, so to speak. They put a talisman around my neck, and he said this spell. And my body, astrally, just went whizzing off into the Valley of the Kings. And I was shown extraordinary things i haven't got time to tell now but the one thing wow. that i want to say and this gets back to the angels and the keys to paradise is that i was taken into tutankhamun's tomb but before the, the the visions that we have of tut's tomb are the photographs that howard carter the egyptologist archaeologist opened it in 1922 and when we look at those photographs all of the funeral debris, whether it's his chariots or his bows and arrows or the canopic jars, they're all strewn everywhere. And I was taken into the tomb and I was shown neat piles of these artifacts that were put next to the tomb, next to the, the sarcophagus of the pharaoh so that he could have these things in the afterlife. And they were all in neat piles. And I was told, we're giving you the keys to paradise. Each one is a representation of a discipline that you will teach to awaken people to a process called asirification, where the human body becomes so illuminated by light, by the release of shadow, by the release of the darker stuff, we become so illuminated that we become a shining one. So this is what the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians taught. I believe that we had something very similar being taught in the East, which is called Kundalini Awakening. Mm. So the book, The Angels and the Keys to Paradise, is a compendium of these keys to paradise with loads of exercises about how to purify the body, how to purify each body, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, so that we become shining ones. Wow. That, and that's how you basically acquired the information f in the book was through this this whole experience that you had. Totally. It was all downloaded. I gave it to me. What a trip. That's quite the quite the um, the experience you've had there. And um, wow, this, Stuart, this has been so fascinating. And I know we're, we're running short on time here. Is there any other bit of information or story that you'd feel compelled to share? Oh my gosh. There are so many. And yet I'm, I'm also aware of the fact that, um, reluctantly, because I'd love to carry on talking to you. I have to go to an important meeting. Um, so what could I say? Um, you know, I always ask a story of synchronicity or serendipity or a positive paranormal story. You've, you've definitely checked that box. Um, you know, one of, so, <laughs> I don't know that I need to circle to that, but, um, you know, I mean, even when we were talking, it was, a, I, I thought it was, it was something that I had on my list here. If we had time to get to you were, I, I happened to catch a ring that, uh, you're wearing 
that was a, a beautiful ring, an ohm ring, a diamond ohm ring. And I, men- I mentioned it and you're like, oh yes, this was manifested in front of my eyes. And I'm like, that's an interesting story. I want to hear about that. That one's pretty short too. So maybe you could share that. Oh, it's quite, it's quite convoluted. Okay, let me share it with you. So um, this would have been in the early 80s when I had changed profession from acting into voice coaching. And I was moving through London's West End from one theatre to the other, troubleshooting, helping actors, etc., etc. And wherever I went, I kept on hearing in my inner consciousness, zababa, 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 zababa. You know how we do, we have these sort of, it's either a pet tune that's going through our, our minds or there's a word that keeps repeating. Anyway, so I had this word, zababa. And I didn't know what it meant. And I mentioned to a friend of mine and they said, a girlfriend of mine, and she said, well, maybe, maybe it's syllabub, you know, which is, a dessert because I have a sweet tooth and everybody, all of my friends know that I love sugar. So maybe <laughs> You're it's right. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe it's syllabub. Maybe that's what it is. It's a, anyway, I went into this store which has just opened and it was a, this was 1981 to whatever it was. This was called a New Age bookstore. And in front of me was this book which said Zai Baba Gita. And I thought, mm. that's what it is. It's not syllabub, it's Zaibaba. It's not Zababa, it's Zaibaba. Okay, wow. so I buy the book and I go to a tea shop and I have a cup of tea and I read it. And sort of, you know, four hours become two minutes, as it were. Anyway, so I get, I think, oh my God, I have to go home. So I go home. <laughs> and my neighbor meets me at my front door saying, hey, this parcel came for you today We're from the mailman, which I've taken in for you. And I look at the parcel And like a kid, I love gifts, so I went into my apartment and I tore the parcel apart. And it was from Zai Baba's ashram. It had had within it vibhuti, sacred ash, which pours out of his hands. And it had a photograph of Baba. And on the back it said, come and see me. So wow. I, I was being called, right? So um, two weeks later. So this I'm, happened right after you hear this in your head, you find the book. And is this the same day you have the package waiting for you? Yeah, or? I go home. And there's wow. The mail. Through, you know, my neighbor said the mailman came and gave you. And so I think I'm onto something really powerful here. So <laughs> yeah. I'm on a plane out there and I arrive and... Um, I arrive at four o'clock in the afternoon at the ashram and I'm told, go and shower, put on white and come to Dashram. So, okay, right. <laughs> so I go shower and put on white, go down to Dashram, you know, slightly jet lagged. And there are two and a half thousand people there. And we wait for about an hour. And then Zaibaba comes. And as he part, I'm sitting cross-legged on the floor by the aisle as he walks past me. And what goes through my mind is the, is, is the question, I wonder what would happen if I tripped him up? And <laughs> that's something I would think. I constantly he, just think like the weirdest. My first lesson, thought is a living energy. Be really scrupulous with your thinking. So then wow. he goes and he sits up there, you know, by on his chair, and then he conducts this sacred ceremony. And I keep thinking he's looking at me, and so I'm going through the contortions of God Stuart, your ego is so big, he's not looking at you. He's dealing with <laughs> Suddenly this monk comes up, this brahmachari comes up to me and says, Baba wants you. So I went up to um, be with him and helped him, you know, held a dish with the booty in it and blah, blah, blah. And he kept on, you know, sort of chucking my my cheek, you know, like a father does to a son. And he turned to me and said, come and see me afterwards. 
So I went and saw him afterwards and waited for about an hour. Then he came and I had a private audience with him. That was amazing because he put his hand on my head <laughs> and gave me something called Shaktipat, which is mm. the you know universal force. So I was really, I couldn't stand up for about two weeks. And he said, go wow. here, they look after you and then come back and see me. So two weeks later, I went back and saw him. And this is when he said, you look much better. Much better. Mm. Too much thinking, thinking, thinking. Too much worry. What's the point of worrying when you can pray? So, mm. you know, I was born of warriors and you know, there was always this state of anxiety. So I learned something fundamental, which was how to transmute worry into prayer. So I offer mm. that to the listeners. But as he did this, he said, you know, I know I'm God and you've forgotten. So what I'm going to do here is to help you. And he started to move his hand in the air. And I thought, what's he doing? Is he waving the air? And then suddenly he stopped this and he said, here. And he gave me a ring. And the ring is the ring that we were talking about. So it came wow. from nowhere. You know, these avatar are very powerful. To tie it in with Atlantis, they have powers of telekinesis. So I saw him walk on water. I saw him bring um, out of his hands jewels. Wow. And the magicians, in the way that the ancient magi were, they're able to bring matter out of antimatter to indicate to us that there is more in this world, Horatio, than you dreamed of in your philosophy. Stop fixating <laughs> the material. So, and there, I'm going to have to rush off. Yeah, well, that is, a, I mean, what a packed episode, what a packed uh, experience of so much information, so many cool stories. I am a sucker for amazing stories, and you, my friend, are full of them. So thank you for taking the time to come on and share, and uh, I certainly encourage everyone to connect with you and, and check out your all your work. And, and what is the best way for people to, to connect, or just through the website? Yeah, through the website, or just, you know, send me an email, stuart at theangelsofatlantis.com. Brandon, it's been wonderful. Thank you very much for inviting me. I've had an absolute ball. And we must do it again when the next book comes out. I, I would absolutely love that. I would like to ask you one last 60-second question or less. What is the meaning of life? Of life? Of life? What is the meaning of life, according to Stuart Pierce? The meaning of life is to fully embody spirit. And feeling is the language of the soul. Feeling is the language of the spirit, mm. not thinking. So it's what are yeah. you feeling? If you're not feeling good, then let's find some ways of being able to transmute the negative into positive. Because we mm. are predestined to live lives of absolute joy and absolute love. Mm. So beautifully and eloquently stated. Thank you, Stuart. Again, you are a gift and it's been quite the joy to connect with you today. Bless you, Brandon. Namaste. Namaste to all, namaste. To you, to all our listeners. Till next time. Ciao. Well, everyone, that concludes this week's interview episode. If you have enjoyed this positive download from our hearts and minds to yours, please Take a minute, give us a rating or review on iTunes, since iTunes is the holy grail of all things podcasting. Uh, your good reviews help us to reach more listeners. Also, we would be extremely appreciative if you would tell your friends and family about the show. Our sincere intent with the Positive Head podcast is to spread positivity to the world because, well, because we're selfish, quite honestly. 
Uh, I say that jokingly, but really only halfway joking. I'm referring to the good kind of selfish based on the knowing that we all get what we give in this life because when we give, we're actually always giving to extensions of self since we're all really one in the same consciousness, just in different bodies. So if you want to be a good selfish along with us by helping to spread the positivity, by all means, please proceed to shout about the Positive Head podcast from your rooftop. <laughs> Otherwise, as you continue on your fabulous journey in this 3D reality, be sure to remember this. As long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Journey well, everyone, and thank you for being.